Hello and welcome back to Resonant Reels, the podcast where we talk about movies and TV and stuff like that in an audio lens. I'm Chandler. I'm Adam. And this week we've got a crazy episode to start off the new year. We're diving straight into Breaking Bad. The first four episodes of season three for those following along. I didn't realize how how dense the the first two episodes in this four episode chunk that we've kind of dove into because it's a lot has gone on so without spoiling too much as we get started the time gap essentially between season finale of season two and the season premiere of season three is a week like a week has gone by since the plane crash and everything so in case like it's confusing as we're talking and it's yeah, we, we see the mess that people are in, in grief and trauma and everything from this disaster. I guess we should just kick off into it. It's going to be a long episode. It's probably going to be a little lengthy, but lots to chat about. Yeah, definitely. So to start off, before we even like get to see the aftermath of the plane crash, we get our teaser, which was super weird to me and after completing the first four episodes everything made sense but it's essentially it's we're we're in like very rural mexico and there's a bunch of people just crawling like and not like on all fours crawling like not really using their legs a whole lot like on their stomachs crawling up this road and there's no explanation as to why that's happening whatsoever and then we get like in contrast to this like super rural area just a bright shiny mercedes pulls up and these two dudes get out and they are like looking sharp they are suited and they like look at everybody and then they get down on the ground and start crawling which further confused me also, they don't speak at any point, actually. Throughout the four episodes, these two dudes just never talk. They, like, finally, when the camera, like, pans, you realize that they're kind of going up to this, like, shrine. I did I did look it up because I was confused. Uh, but it's um, the shrine of uh, Santa Muerte. So, Saint Death, basically. And there was, like, a physical representation in the shrine and it was this skull which honestly i think was a real skull like it was probably a prop skull in real life but in the world of the movie or in the world of the television show i mean i think it was a a, a real skull these two guys like go in there and they light a candle they do like a like an offering and then one of them like takes out this piece of, piece of paper and like attaches it to the shrine. And at the very end of the teaser, we see it as like a really shitty sketch of who everybody knows as Heisenberg. That is like the teaser. Um, so right off the bat, we are starting season three in a oh fuck sort of way. Um, because these two dudes just like they radiate cartel. They radiate cartel. Now you know that like Heisenberg is a mark. Yeah, this episode launches in this like weird, mysterious kind of like sense. And you you as the audience just like 
don't know what's going on, which is really captivating, I feel like, because you're like, I was ready to figure out the immediate aftermath of the planes crashing over Walt and like the family turmoil he has found himself in because he's been found out of all the lies and everything. But it's like, nope, we're just going to get this like really obscure, but beautifully captured, odd religious practice of some sort. Very fascinating. This episode one is called Nomos. It's written by Vince Gilligan and directed by Brian Cranston. So it's very interesting. We got Brian Cranston directing this episode. Also, man, do I realize that I miss watching television that was made for specific time slots on TV because I feel like there's a really good formula that can get followed as shown by Breaking Bad in like these 45 minute series like and it's not too long and it's perfect so we get into the actual show kind of like resolving from the end of season two and this is where we finally see everything about the the plane crash um so we have just a montage of different news stations within Albuquerque that are covering the death toll. And then it comes in as like breaking news that the FAA has identified Donald Margolis as the air traffic controller, how this was an isolated incident, how it was like his fault. Um, But then like you'd have another news station that was like, people are questioning the well because they say this because on top of talking about him they're airing all of his family's dirty laundry and talking about the recent death of his daughter jane and like they talk about how she struggled with addiction and like this is just all blatantly on the news surrounding this plane crash then they get to when someone was like this is an isolated incident this was you know confirmed to be like one air traffic controllers like improper whatever uh, that's contradicted with another news station that's like people are criticizing his soon return to work and are actually blaming like the the company as to like why was a grieving father allowed to return so quickly and like stuff like that as that kind of comes to a precipice like we we hear that 167 people died as a result of these plane crashes and it was nobody on the ground it was all the people like on the actual planes that kind of montage ends and Walter is standing in his backyard and he is just very like zoned out of it because you realize like he has been hearing all of these things. And so we, as the audience can also now piece together that like, he knows that the guy he talked to in that bar was Jane's dad. Uh, He knows that he's responsible for Jane's death and uh, he knows that he is technically the one who is responsible for the 167 people on those planes dying. And so in a very like shock based state. So he's got these stacks of cash that he puts in his grill. He covers them in lighter fluid and he's been playing with matches. Like he's been lighting them and like tossing them into the pool. But this one, he lights the last one and he uses like the matchbook to like catch the entirety of the matchbook on fire and he throws it on the grill and he lights all the money on fire and he's watching it like burn. And then he's like, 
has this realization of like, oh shit, what am I doing? So he tries to like dump it out, but he can't. So he has to throw the grill into the pool, but then he catches himself on fire. So then he has to jump into the pool. And now he's just got a bunch of like half burned wet money. That is how we see Walt like start off this season. Meanwhile, Skylar is asking, or Skylar is meeting with a divorce attorney. She tells her divorce attorney that like, Walt is moving out. That is good because she can probably keep like custody of the kids if she can maintain like being at the house. There's like a brief talk about finances, but outside of that, it's a very like quick meeting where Skylar is just like, I'm getting divorced. And the divorce attorney is trying to be like, Does your husband know that like you're getting divorced? And Skylar's like, We're getting divorced. But that kind of sets us up for things to come. We cut back to Walt, and right after he finished getting all of the money out of the pool, all the little bits and like skimming out the torn corners and things, he finds one of the eyeballs from that pink teddy bear from the crash. And this winds up being like a really interesting like symbol throughout the episode. I, I don't know if people are familiar with like the evil eye and like the evil eye is watching you or whatever. And that is very rooted in a lot of like Hispanic culture. And so that is like big time what I'm getting from this plastic eyeball that Walt doesn't get rid of. He brings it into the house and he like, it just keeps finding its way around things. It's very interesting. So Hank shows up, tells Walt like it's, it's time. Like you, you got to grab your stuff and go. Walt, has his duffel bag full of drug money. Hank goes to grab it. And Walt's like, no, I've got this. And Hank like insists and he makes a joke. He's like, what have you gotten there? Cinder blocks. And like Walt replies fully honestly and says half a million in cash. And Hank just like laughs and thinks that Walt's being funny and like tosses it into the back of the car. And like, that's it. That's, I think a really distinct moment because we see that like Walt is starting to be careless but in a really specific way it's not that he's being reckless he's just like somebody please catch me somebody like somebody witness that my life is a mess and all these things i've been doing he's not taken seriously like at all then jesse is still in rehab and we see jesse going to these like group therapy sessions it's a lot of like i don't know your classic kind of rehabilitation jargon uh from like the leaders of the the rehabilitation place and we can just see that jesse's not buying it like he's not really into it and that's kind of like where we leave jesse for a second but knowing that he's trying to work on ideas of self-acceptance and self-improvement but that he's clearly struggling with like any of that so after we leave jesse Walt gets a new apartment. We don't really see that process. We just see that Walt has a new apartment and he comes home to it. He is just very forlorn. Like it's not going well. And he calls home. He starts leaving a message that Skylar and Walt Jr. are totally listening in on. And Walt Jr. runs and picks up the phone. And we get a very sad, sad dynamic with Walt Jr. because it is the classic like, the parents are going through a separation or going through a divorce, but they're not telling him 
anything like literally nothing and he just knows that all of a sudden his dad is not living in the house anymore and he really doesn't know why or what he try he gets uh walt to drive him to school even though skylar is like i'm driving you to school walt jr is like basically just screw you walt hangs up the phone and then he's just like doing some very slow movements around the apartment and he hears a phone vibration and it's his drug phone it's his other cell phone and it is a text with the word poyos gus wants to talk that's that's how that scene ends is we're like okay things are progressing which is interesting because the last time we saw gus was him at the DEA office, recognizing Walt's photo on the uh, donations jar that Hank had put out. Then we get arguably what was a hilarious, in such a bad way, scene of Walt at the school because the school is hosting a student assembly to talk about the plane crash and how it's affecting students. And if anybody has ever been in school, like public school, private school, it does not matter when any sort of large news event has happened. And one of these assemblies has taken place. It's all the same vibe. And all you want to do as a student is like, run the other direction, because nine times out of 10, they're not helpful. They're super cringy, and they make things worse. And that is exactly what happened uh, in the show. People are taught like we, we and we start off with which is uh, so accurate, because I've taught these kids of like this guy who's like trying to talk about how deeply this affected him. But you can tell he's like lying. And then he basically ends his his turn with the microphone saying like, you know, like in college, they've got like, like clauses, like if your roommate commits suicide, they just like let you pass for the rest of the semester. And I honestly think that we should like look into that. And I was like, that was just so funny to me as a concept, because I was like, yes, because there's always going to be that one kid. And that was that one kid. Meanwhile, then we get another student who like is actually very deeply affected and starts talking to the whole school in her microphone about the uh, like existence of god and like her qualms with religion and why bad things happen to people and so like that was rough to to listen to and also one of those things where i'm like please talk to a therapist do not do not say this in front of the entire student population on a microphone right now and then we get walt who just like he can't he's he's clearly super uncomfortable he's like oh god this is all my fault like this is terrible and he makes like some sort of comment out loud that leads to the principal encouraging him to like speak so he goes into this speech about looking on the bright side of the accident and starts talking about a worse plane crash that had a higher death toll and how therefore this plane crash wasn't so bad when in comparison and that it's actually tied for the 50th worst plane crash and like it was not going well so carmen the principal like cuts cuts his speech off and for good reason because it was it was not appropriate it was not good so then we kind of jump back to like our teaser scene so we realize that this is not necessarily something that is like a flash forward or a flashback, but rather something that seems to be happening kind of like simultaneously. There is uh, this Mercedes again with these two guys who, mind you, they are twins. 
So they look exactly the same. And we're still in like rural Mexico. And they basically just commandeer this house and they switch out all of their clothes. So they they ditch their suits and they're grabbing like jeans and like white cotton shirts and like long sleeve, you know, stuff to, to layer over top of that. The only thing that they keep are their guns and their cowboy boots, which have these really distinct uh, like metal skulls on the points of the, the, the toes. Then they leave the car with the family as well, which was a really interesting. And but it was funny because they leave the car keys on there. There's a goat at this like little farm residence and they leave the car key on the goat's horn and just like walk off into the distance. They very much are the archetype of like the big bad guys who like don't speak and they just like emanate power. And so we can tell that something is something is brewing. Something is happening. So Walt does indeed drive Walt Jr. home. Walt Jr. basically starts to throw another fit of like, why don't you come into the house? Like, why? What, what is going on? And Walt just like remains very neutral, but he never blames Skylar for anything, like truly ever. So when Walt Jr. gets in the house, he just has an explosion. And he basically is like yelling at Skylar as to like why she's persecuting Walt, why is she splitting their family apart, all of this stuff. And Marie is there and witnesses this. And we learn that Marie also does not know anything. Like Skylar has not told anybody why she is filing for a divorce, why she is doing any of this. And so it's making Skylar look really bad because she's not saying anything, which is depressing. Uh, then we get Jesse, who is in therapy again, and he's still seeming very despondent. And you can tell that he is blaming himself, blaming himself for Jane, blaming himself for these plane crashes. He starts kind of yelling at the rehabilitation group leader. And he keeps asking the question, have you ever really hurt anybody? He's like, not like done dumb shit when you've been like drunk or whatever. He's like, have you ever like really hurt somebody? And the group leader tells this horrific story of how he was drunk and he like got angry at his wife for not going to the liquor store to get him more alcohol so he got in the car and he murdered his six-year-old daughter who was playing at the end of the driveway that led jesse to asking like how do you not hate yourself and the group leader is basically like hating yourself doesn't like help you get sober like in fact it just makes everything worse and you can tell that like it was unfortunate, but like Jesse needed to hear that like somebody else had done something horrific to actually get like these things that are being taught at rehab to like resonate with him. Finally, we get the big confrontation between Skylar and Walt and Skylar surprises Walt with the divorce papers and he gets immediately defensive, immediately angry. And then also goes on this thing of like, you didn't even like, just let me explain. You haven't even heard my side. And she just goes, she blatantly, I was watching this with my girlfriend who has not seen any of the first two seasons, mind you. And so I gave her like a very brief recap of the first two seasons so that we could watch all these four episodes together. And she's actually also very into it, which I think is funny because I would not have expected this to be a show that she enjoyed. But she was also like shook because Skylar just is like, you're a drug dealer. And she was like, how else could you have gotten all of that money? He doesn't like deny it. And she 
she's like, oh my God. And, and she even says like marijuana. She's like, you deal drugs. She's like that Jesse guy, your former student. And Walt just like kind of shakes his head and she's like, oh my God, Walt, cocaine. And it's like, oh God, it's so much worse. And then Walt just finally goes like meth. He's like methamphetamines. And he's like, and I'm not a dealer. I'm a manufacturer technically. And immediately she is like, what the fuck? She's like, who are you? This is not my life. And like, doesn't want to hear any of his excuses. And she was like, I will not tell Hank. I will not tell anybody in the family. I will not go to the police, but you have to sign these papers. And then she like rushes out of the apartment because she says she needs to leave before she pukes. Crazy. For Skylar to know to start the third season, I was like, oh, shit's about to get so much more fucked up. If like we're starting with her knowing now, that was crazy. It's setting so much potential of like more chaos and like weird relationship dynamic just in this first episode alone that we're like, it's just going to domino effect immediately. And it's going to be just a crazy ride because we see and I think and I'll and I'll touch back on this as we keep going through some of these episodes like we see Skylar trying to protect herself and her kids like her family because Walt is not the same person she once knew like not even close to the same person she's fallen in love with she is seeing the cracks of Walt and seeing Heisenberg through those cracks and I think throughout these episodes she sees more and more of that we'll dive into that further especially in episode four i think she is i think doing the smartest thing she can right now of like trying to go on as much of the offensive as possible but she is very much like walt in the sense that she doesn't want her children to ever know she doesn't want the knowledge of this to come out because she doesn't want to have the the baggage and the stigma of knowing that her husband was a mess dealer and everything. Like she doesn't want that reputation because it's been unknown to her and her family. Like her children are none the wiser. Like Walt Jr. has no idea whatsoever. And then Holly is just a baby. She's she's a baby. It's exciting. It's crazy. But then you get these like weird situations, especially with like the divorce attorney of like wanting all the information as possible to do what's best for Skylar, but Skylar feels like she can't give it. And we have some tension there from that. So it's all very, it's all well crafted and very interesting. So then we've got um, Walt goes and picks Jesse up from rehab. So Jesse's out of rehab now. Basically tries, like, Jesse is very clearly feeling at fault for the plane crashes. Walt tries to like assuage that guilt. Jesse says that he learned to accept about himself what Walt can't. And he says, I'm the bad guy. We have a whole new Jesse. He's like clean shaven. His hair's different. He's dressing different. He's clean. Like he, again, this is a a really cool acting transformation that has happened. That scene just kind of ends with Jesse saying that, saying I'm the bad guy. And you're like, and it's haunting because it's kind of like, oh, no. Jesse accepted the wrong thing. <laughs> like, like he, he took the wrong thing away from that messaging. You can just tell that he is, he is a- about to crack. And you don't necessarily know what that's going to look like or be, but you're kind of just like, 
you know it's not good. It's so interesting, just the the transformation we immediately get. Like from the first scene we saw him in rehab, he's been clean. So he looks completely different. He looks a little healthier, though like a little bit on the skinny side, but that like tends to happen sometimes with rehabilitation. But like his mindset is so I mean, he's he's been trying to fathom the tragedies he's gone through recently and he's he's stuck in the self-blaming cycle he needs someone to blame but he can only think of himself and that is so devastating when like it's walt like walt caused you this pain and suffering and it's so frustrating that like walt is their relationship is in such a weird place right now too because walt is like being more supportive because he knows the dark shit he's done to cause this on Jesse, yet he's trying to be in denial for himself because he doesn't want to own up to all the dark shit he's caused. Like, Walt in this whole episode is in complete denial and trying to justify that it's not his fault. And it's just aggravating that gets seeped through just at the school assembly, now with Jesse. And like we're seeing the repercussions of that because Jesse's fully accepting that he's a bad guy. And we can only imagine what's going to happen moving forward now with Jesse accepting that about himself, but also a clean, sober Jesse. So like the possible more potential he has as a human being in accepting he's a bad guy. Like that's just slightly terrifying of what could happen with jesse it's not good after walt picks up jesse uh he winds up at his meeting at los pollos hermanos with gus walt tells gus that like he showed up out of respect that he wanted to tell gus in person like i'm out i'm not doing this anymore i'm done and gus is like i would like you to hear my offer first before like you make that choice and walt is like i will hear your offer but there's nothing you could say to me that's going to make me change my mind. And he says, for three months of your time, I will give you $3 million. Walt definitely hesitates, but then sticks to his guns and says, like, I have more money than I know what to do with. And I have none of my family. Like, my my answer remains the same. And again, Gus has this, like, uh, return to his happy customer, whatever, attitude and is like thank you uh very much or whatever and like they shake hands and they go their separate ways and our episode ends with just a badass shot honestly because it's these two guys they are in a uh farm truck and you can tell that they are they are being smuggled into the u.s and there is a young kid in there who just starts like he will not stop talking and he even like starts talking about how he like painted cars for like gang members and stuff like back in Mexico, whatever he notices the guy's boots and he's like, Oh, these boots like aren't going to be like great for working. And he looks and he sees the little skulls and he immediately realizes that they are like cartel and he shuts up. So to go from somebody who would not stop talking to immediately just like, you can see him start to sweat. He like freezes basically. And then the camera zooms out of the car and we're just watching the car drive. And there's gunshots just 
repeated gunshots. And when the truck driver gets out, he comes around the back. The two guys kick the back of the hay bale like truck thing open. They shoot him as he tries to run away. And then he he doesn't play dead, which is the stupidest thing. It was very like, I don't know, TV, but he tries to like keep crawling away. And mind you, we're in an open field in the middle of nowhere. So it's like, where are you crawling to? Pretend to play dead, wait for them to leave, and then you can crawl away. But instead, he tries to crawl away. And one of the guys just like walks up to him and we get a very like long shot of him just like point blank shooting the truck driver. Then they set the truck on fire and there is a huge explosion as they casually walk away down the road. And that is the end of our episode, um, is a massive explosion. And these two dudes unbothered as they continue their journey. And we realize that they are now in Texas. It captures you, man. For for season premiere, man, it gets you. It gets you. This episode has a bit of everything. Everything is in this like weird place. And you're like, I... Nothing's been resolved yet. I I need help. Please, someone solve something. I'm I'm stressed out. It's a fun trivia with this episode, which is really, really fascinating stuff. There's a bunch of family cameos in this episode. So like Brian Cranston's daughter is one of the students in the assembly. She makes a little small cameo there. Cranston's wife makes an appearance on one of the news clips as an quote-unquote emotional woman being interviewed, which is also very interesting. And then Vince Gilligan's wife is one of the other teachers in the assembly standing with Walt in the center of the the gymnasium. Oh, no way. (laughs) So it's just so cool. Wait, that's awesome. We're just going to put all these cameos of like all of our family into this episode and have fun with it. Yeah, because why not? Of course, this episode title, Nomos, translates to no more, and that clearly references... To a lot of characters about, you know, not going with what things were like in season two, like saying no to things, especially like with Walt saying no more to being part of the drug business to Gus. Right. And Jesse, no more to doing drugs. And then Skylar to no more dealing with Walt and his current criminal behavior and everything. There's a lot of like, no more. So also... Some fun, more fun facts. There's a lot of fun facts in this episode. They pulled out all the stops of just little Easter eggs and stuff everywhere. When Brian Cranston set the f- money on fire, he actually did set himself on fire. So some of that was real panic and him jumping into the pool to douse himself. Oh, shit. Happens, I guess. But yeah, he was literally on fire. I don't know if it was like a planned control thing, but he, he did set himself on fire. So there's some genuine reaction there. Good, good for him, I guess. I would have just been like, cut, cut, cut. <laughs> I don't know if you've picked up on this. So throughout this episode, everyone's wearing these like blue ribbons. Yes, they're all for the crash. They are a bright blue which is really interesting because the math is known as blue sky. So there's a lot of like the blue playing a weird role as a color theme and motif. The only characters we don't see wearing a blue ribbon is Walt and Junior. And this kind of ties in with the, you know, Walt Junior trying to be close with his dad because he's just all of a sudden been yeeted out of his life and he doesn't understand why his dad's no longer around, right? It's just like... What the heck? So, like, he's kind of being defiant and, like, what you would... It makes sense as a teenager, the choices he's making 
in defiance to try to make sense of things that he's not getting any information about whatsoever, just being kept in the dark about. So it makes sense. And it's just sad. It makes sense why Walt himself is not wearing a ribbon because he's got a lot of baggage. And then Walt's new apartment, his unit number is 221, which is a slight nod to Sherlock Holmes because his apartment is 221B. There's a moment when Walt is like kind of like being alone in the apartment and like packing lunch for himself before work. And he has this moment where he's making a PB&J and then he's cutting off the crusts of that PB&J and being very particular about it. And it's very reminiscent and a callback to when he was making sandwiches for Crazy 8. Oh. It's a weird moment because you can also see in Walt's eyes him thinking about that time in the past. And it's hard to pick up on if it's like he misses it or feels like he's stuck in that choice cycle again of what to do and where to go with this. It's like Walt's very much in this very ambiguous emotional state, not knowing what to do and trying to make the right choices for himself and his family again, it feels like. And then my last little piece of trivia for this episode, this is the first of four episodes where there's no licensed music at all. So it's all original score by Dave Porter. Like there's no like popular music being part of the soundtrack or anything in this episode. So it's a very interesting choice to do that. And I think it really helps emotionally, evocatively, because the score through this episode has been so really interesting and emotionally driven and just well done and just amping things up emotionally in scenes. So like bravo to Dave Porter for that. And it's just really clever to like not utilize any licensed music that television's known to do a lot. Because, you know, television turnaround time is really difficult when you're on a weekly schedule, like when this came out originally. So it's like, it's easier just to pull up popular music that someone else has done that captures the emotional thing. Because, you know, we don't have time to like fully hire a composer to compose things that like we're quickly rushing out for an episode premiere, you know. But yeah, let's hop into our second episode. All right. So our next episode is called Caballo Sin Nombre which translates to a horse with no name. Also, I think that is punny because I know that horse is a uh, like street term for heroin. Oh, you got my fun fact there. Oh, nice. Cool, cool, cool. I, I started to pay more attention to names this time since I completely missed the flight ABQ down or, or down over ABQ, whatever uh, thing. So our teaser here is Walt. Um, and he is actually listening to a song titled A Horse With No Name. And uh, he's on his radio, uh, or yeah, listening to his radio, and he gets pulled over by an officer. This officer is like, I don't have time for anything. Like, your windshield is super cracked and that you can't drive this car. And Walt tries to, like, explain that it's from the plane crash. And the cop's like, great, thanks for letting me know. Here's your ticket. and. Walt's like, Did, do you know about the plane crash? And the cop's like, yeah, I'm literally wearing the ribbon. Like, it, like, didn't care. Heisenberg comes out. Like, Walt goes away. And we just get an angry, ranting Walt who is, like, getting closer and closer to this officer. And, like, the officer's telling him, like, calm down, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Walt winds up getting pepper sprayed. 
he is thrown into the back of a cop car. It's so well edited. The pacing of that moment is so brilliant because we just see like, we get the eruption of the volcano of Walt and then like he like steps out of his car and the officer told him to stay in the car and he's just yelling and going frantic and like getting closer and closer to the officer. And he's like, what, you're going to pepper spray me? Because the officer like gets ready because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Like this is a man who like in less than a minute snapped and is just going off on this officer just doing his job. Like, yeah, he's not like the most friendly of officers, but he's not like an asshole either. He's just like, you shouldn't be driving with a completely destroyed windshield out on a busy road or anything. Like, I'm going to ticket you for it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We don't get to see the pepper spraying happen. We just get the aftermath of Walt gasping for air, crying after being pepper sprayed. Snot, like, running out of his nose. Yeah. It was cathartic just to see a just a destroyed Walt for a hot second. And it was just the simple thing of pepper spray. <laughs> so then we start with Hank's at the DEA office. And he's like talking to his team about this truck explosion, which we just saw at the end of the last episode. And he says that it was clearly some sort of, quote, high-end cartel work. He then promptly receives a phone call, which is Walt asking for assistance. So Hank goes and like makes a case for Walt. And like we even hear him saying like some really sad stuff about Walt's like life. And being like, if there was any, if there was ever a guy to like cut some slack, like this would be him. So he comes out. With the two officers, Walt, like, apologizes to the arresting officer. They get Hank to, like, escort Walt out. Walt and Hank get in the car, and Walt basically just tries to be like, Skylar's divorcing me. And Hank has, like, no sympathy in that moment. He's like, yeah, well, sometimes shit happens. And then Walt says, she doesn't want me to see the kids anymore. And Hank's just like, she said that? Huh. And then, like... That was news to him because, again, Skylar hasn't said anything about why she's doing any of this. It's also really interesting in that moment because, like, Hank's just like, yeah, I understand Walt, but, like, Hank's been seeing, like, Walt not be okay. And I think we also learned that, like, Hank's also not been okay in these episodes, but he's hiding a lot of that. But right when Walt talks about not seeing the children, something kind of like switches a little bit in Hank because we, we've we known Hank to be very family-driven. He believes in a family dynamic, especially when there's children involved. And so when he heard that from Walt, Hank's just like, I, I don't agree with that. Like, they're your children too, Walt. They need a father. He truly believes in the father being part of a family. So then we've got Jesse who is living his rehabilitated life, he stops and sees that the former house that his parents kicked him out of, his aunt's house, uh, is up for sale. So he goes to see it, and he runs into his dad. His dad is like very much like keeping Jesse at a distance still. Jesse even brings up, like, maybe we could get together again sometime. And his dad's like, yeah, maybe sometime. And Jesse's like, clearly very hurt but just like okay and like gets it and walks away then we've got Saul comes to visit Walt at Walt's new little apartment and it was so funny because one of the things the first thing Saul says is you didn't call and I was just like god damn it how long are we gonna play on this stupid pun Walt tells Saul that like Skylar knows everything pretty much not everything everything but like knows that he's is doing business with 
drug dealers and cooking meth and things. Salt tries to like tell Walt, like everything's fine. She's not actually going to call the police on you. Like, why would she do that? Like, he's like, you should get back in. And Walt's like, I am not doing this anymore. I just want my family and they're gone. And so Saul calls our new favorite character, the cleaner, Mike, and says that we might have a wife problem. And that's all we know at that moment. I love Mike. Oh, man, he's such a good character. He's such a good character. Junior, Walt Walt Jr. is just going in again at Skylar over dinner for like not allowing Walt and him to like see each other, even saying like that Walt was like super depressed at school and like he's not doing well. And she calls him Flynn and he flips and he is like, my name is Walter Jr. You can't even say his name. And that was just such a child thing to do because he is the one who asked everybody to call him Flynn. They've been calling him Flynn for forever. But now that he's pissed off and angry, like, of course, he's going to freak out that they need to call him Walt Jr. because he's his dad's son and and all this stuff. And that was like very heartbreaking. This is where Hank asks Skylar, like, why are you trying to keep the kids away from Walt? And basically, she just says, like, this has nothing to do with you and like, watch yourself. Hank and Marie leave and they start to like, they start to try to speculate like why Skylar left and they come up with like affairs or whatever. And, and Hank's like, hey, I mean, that's the second cell phone's a dead giveaway. But Marie is the one who thinks that if it was just an affair that Skylar would have told her. So they really still have no clue as to why this is happening. Then we get Jesse visiting Saul. Saul gives the money over to Jesse. Saul is like complaining about Walt not wanting to cook meth anymore and all this stuff. And then Jesse's like, hey, do you want a job? Saul's like, what job? The job is that he hires Saul to buy the house from his parents. They are selling it for like $725,000. In the meeting, Saul is representing an anonymous client. The two parents are there with the lawyer who was present when they kicked Jesse out of the house and everything and like disinherited him and stuff. They were like, so what's your offer? And Saul was like $400,000. And they were like, got pissy and like they were like why would you even think that we would show up for an offer like that like blah blah blah. And he was like no no you're right it's just when i heard about the meth lab in the basement and everybody stops and freezes and he starts going in about how it was like a federal offense to you know try to sweep something like that up under the rug and like meth contamination in the building from a buyer and like all of that and successfully gets the house for four hundred thousand dollars and so jesse has his house back and it was a very like sweet revenge sort of moment because towards the end of the episode jesse pulls up and just starts walking into the house and his parents are there they're like jesse you can't do this right now like the new owners are going to be showing up like any minute and he just like shows him the keys he's like i am the new owner i bought the house and he walks in and he shuts the door on them and so now they've put together that like saul helped blackmail them into selling their own son the property back and it was beautiful. Meanwhile, we've got these two guys from the truck explosion. Now they're going into a retirement home. And I immediately started putting connections together because we have a returning beloved character who does not say a single word, Tuco's Uncle Hector, who just rings his little bell in his chair. They like grab a Ouija board 
and start trying to have him spell things out and he'll hit the bell when it's on the right letters and he spells out a name and the name he spells out is Walter White. And so now these two murderous cartel members know that Walter White is Heisenberg. And so we're like, oh God, terrible things are going to happen. Skylar is at work and she's still dealing with these cooked company tax fraud books and says like she can't sign off on stuff. And he basically is like, I can make adjustments. If I do XYZ, can you sign off on that? And she's like, I can't sign off on the books the way that they currently are. And there's a lot of like hypocrisy here now because she is a complicit like partner in committing tax fraud, but she's leaving Walt because he's also doing illegal things or did illegal things. I don't know. I know there are different levels of things, but it's fascinating, that dynamic. Skylar and Ted are just being Skylar and Ted in those moments. And that's what I'll say about that for right now. Well, so part of part of the cooking books is when she's like showing Ted the books and everything. I don't know if you caught it, but Skylar did show her hand to Ted and it was missing the wedding ring. And she was showing that off to Ted. So there's a lot of like subtle, hinty things like that. And that does like partially convince Ted to like cook the books better and everything. It's a very weird and yeah, very hypocritical state of Skylar. But, you know, Skylar's in this weird place herself anyways. So when Walt gets home to his his apartment who is there? Walt Jr. And he's very excited to see him, but he also immediately calls Skylar and drives Walt Jr. home. And again, never bad mouths Skylar, like even tells Walt Jr. that Skylar has reasons for doing the things that she's doing. But he tries to bring a pizza and Skylar's like, I'm cooking dinner, shuts the door in his face. And again, a little bit of Heisenberg pops out and Walt just like freaks and like chucks the pizza onto the roof of the house and leaves, Uh, like gets in his car and drives away. The next morning, we have this image of like a very distraught Walt. He's like face down on the floor, waking up like almost as if he had been like drunk or drugged out or something like is the image that we have, which is interesting. And Skylar's leaving a voicemail about finding the pizza on the roof. And she's like, really? Like, get it together. And then threatens to get a restraining order if, you know, he doesn't, like, fix stuff. At the call from Saul, uh, that was not intentional, which is unfortunate that I just said that. Mike installs a whole bunch of, like, bugs and, like, surveillance stuff in in Walt's house where Skylar is living. Because they want to make sure that Skylar isn't gonna like talk or anything and knowing that Skylar's at work uh Walt shows up at the same time as Mike and he realizes that Skylar's changed the locks he manages to break in from crawling underneath the floorboards when he was doing all that crazy renovation and stuff so he gets into the house and he just kind of starts like existing in his house and Mike is just casing the house watching the house and he sees these two dudes uh, with a giant polished silver axe walk into Walt's house. And he's like, oh, fuck. Mike calls Gus's like right-hand man, I think uh, Victor, who is the one that stopped Walt in 
Los Poyos that one day and, and told him you have an hour to get to the truck stop. And Victor like goes to Gus and like whispers something in Gus's ear. And we watch these two guys like walk into the house and they are sitting on the bed, brandishing the axe, waiting for Walt to get out of the shower because they are going to fucking murder this dude. One of them pulls out the plastic eyeball from that teddy bear and like looks at it and then tosses it back into the suitcase that Walt has packed on the um, on the bed. Walt like gets out of the shower, the door is still closed, and one of the two dudes' cell phone buzzes and he looks and it's a text and it says, Poyos. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they look at each other and then when Walt opens the door from the the shower into the bedroom, they are no longer sitting on the bed. Walt notices that the eyeball is now like on the suitcase of his clothes. And he does like, kind of have a feeling like, oh, something, I'm not like here alone, like something's weird. But he has no idea that he literally almost just like died. That That is how close to death he he truly was in that moment. And that is our episode two. Another intense way to end the episode. And like, still we're like waiting for any resolution of any kind. And it's not going to happen. The season like already feels like it's just going to keep getting intense, intense, intense. And then a quick little drop off, but it's still intense and worrying and anxiety inducing. Yeah. I mean, this episode is mostly known for the pizza on the rooftop. It got memed a lot. People are like, critical about it kind of because it was like how how do you that's not possible and if he if he didn't notice that pizza's not pre-sliced it's just the full pie like it's just one big slice yeah that's stunt for lack of a better word that trick i guess was done practically so brian cranston did do that in one take and he could not do it again so he got it in one and that was it and they could not recreate it this trend, because this is like real places in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So when fans found out where this house was, they a lot of fans have gone to the house to throw pizzas onto the rooftop. So much, in fact, that the owner got really fed up with it and has put up a fence around his house. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'd be pissed off, too. Back in 2010, like people are going ham throwing pizzas on this rooftop <laughs> some other fun little trivia the pinkmans i don't know if you tiny little easter egg here on the back of the their family car has stickers of mom dad and jake and jesse's not present so like this kind of just adds into this like Jesse's been kicked out of the family kind of vibe. But like, you know, Jesse got, does get his little like payback to them. This is the last episode we see his parents in Breaking Bad. Really? This is like the final straw. And it's because Jesse got a one up on them. And so it's it's safe to assume they've they disown him from this point forward, which is really sad. That's just going to bring us straight into episode three, IFT. What could that mean? You tell me. Oh, man, I'm just rhyming. I'm just spinning rhymes here. <laughs> oh, man. So our teaser in this one was actually, I mean, cool feels like a wild word to use when I talk about what happened in the teaser, but it gives us context to uh, something that already happened. So uh, this one very much is a flashback, and we get to see Tortuga alive and well and with his head still attached to his body and he's just at a bar 
and his like big boss comes in el jefe has a drink and you can just tell that the way that the guy is like talking to tortuga that like something's up and tortuga can also kind of tell but like there's only so much that you can i mean he's el jefe like you can't like you you can't give away too much or be too suspicious and the guy is like oh i forgot your birthday so i i'm sorry i'm so late but i i have a gift for you in the back and tortuga's like in in the back and he's like yeah like why don't you come back here so he goes back and there is the tortoise uh in the back that's just like walking around or whatever and tortuga's like pumped and and el jefe's like oh let me write let me write happy birthday to the one who doesn't ever like stop talking or whatever and instead he writes hola dea and when he steps back and tortuga sees it and reads it he's like oh shit and the two guys that we've seen from the last couple episodes who are trying to kill walt step in and they literally pin him to a table and take a machete and just start hacking his head off in the back of this bar and so we finally find out how tortuga died and we can now put the pieces together that these two guys are insane absolutely batshit crazy bloodthirsty criminals that really set the tone for like what Walt is going to have to try to actively avoid. So Mike is still kind of watching uh, Walt's house and Walt like <laughs> he removes the pizza from the top of um, from the top of the roof still has no idea that these guys came over and Mike calls Gus and he's like, well, he's still alive and he has no idea about like how close to death he was and that was kind of like it and then skylar comes home and walt is inside and she was like walt leave i'm gonna call the police whatever and this is really where we see the pushback like heisenberg is here and walt's like okay he said he's like call them great sounds good so he stays like weirdly calm and just keeps grading papers and then Walt Jr. comes home and sees Walt there. And then immediately they finds out that his mom called the cops. So that does not help the relationship between Skylar and Walt Jr. And the cops come and basically Skylar has to be like, he didn't hit me. We're not legally separated or divorced. Our names are both on the on the lease for the house. And they have to tell him that like, tell her that Walt is within his right to stay. But they say if he's broken any laws, like let us know and we can help you. We can like get him removed immediately, whatever. And she can't bring herself to say any of the stuff because she so desperately does not want Walt Jr. to know because Walt Jr. goes on a monologue to the police about what a great guy his dad is and why he doesn't understand why his mom is doing this. The police leave and she grabs Holly and she looks at Walt. She says, welcome home. And walks away and it was insane i'm using so many words like crazy wild insane but that's like all i can do for this show like everything's just bananas like and it feels like especially these first four episodes everything has just ramped up so much and it's literally the start of the season so we contrast this scene with what is heartbreaking to me and it is jesse sitting in his new house he has nothing in the house it's literally him and his sleeping bag and he just keeps calling Jane's old cell phone to hear her voicemail. 
as somebody who has done that, like when somebody has passed and like calling a phone just to be able to like hear that person's voice again, that is, it's just, there are no words. There are no words for the amount of grief that somebody has to be feeling in order to do that. He hangs up. He just like keeps calling the number and hangs up. And then Saul comes and visits Jesse. And he's like, please, you have to get Walt to start cooking again. And Jesse's like, okay, like, I'll, I'll do my best, but get the fuck out. And after Saul leaves, Jesse just keeps calling the number again. So then Hank gets off of a phone call that he has been asked to go back to El Paso after everything, but he is not super enthusiastic about it. And he's talking to like Gomez about it. And Gomez is significantly more enthusiastic than Hank is. And you can just tell immediately with that call, like half of Hank's PTSD comes flooding back and it's like not good. So then we get these, uh, these two guys again, uh, which we, we know they're called the cousins, the cousins, they steal a wheelchair ramp van from some nice old lady. And we don't see what happens to the old lady. It's very possible. They just removed her from the car on her wheelchair and took the car. That's what I like to think happened. And they put Uncle Hector on the car and they go to a meeting with Gus. And so it's the cousins, Hector, Gus, and Juan Bolsa, which is El Jefe. It's the it's Tortuga's former boss. We get a really tense meeting there where these cousins never speak. And Bolsa says that Hector's nephew, Tuco, was murdered because, or died, I guess, because of Walt's betrayal and that the cousins have a right to get like revenge on Walt on Tuco's behalf and Gus in all of his cool calm and collected energy says that he is currently doing business with Walt and that he does not want to get in the way of their vengeance but if they could just postpone it until his business with Walt is concluded which is very interesting because Walt turned down doing business with Gus. So they are not actively doing business together right now. Bolsa asks Gus to step outside with him. And they have a very real chat of like him telling Gus that you need to finish things up with Walt super quick because you do not want to lose the cartel's favor. And when it comes to the cousins, that Bolsa cannot guarantee that they will listen or respect this ask for postponement. That makes sense because they're crazy. So uh, I'm not surprised. That is kind of how that wraps up. But it definitely leads to a lot of questions of like, is Gus just trying to protect Walt? For what reason? And also, it's very clear that Gus is not taking Walt's no for an answer. And it doesn't seem like it necessarily even has anything to do with this situation, but that this situation might be kind of the key that he needs in order to make the things that he wants happen. We we get some a glimpse into the the cartel politics especially like how how Gus is involved it's unclear but clearly he's clearly his role in the cartel like he as a person it feels like is is very different than the rest of the cartel he's with we get like a glimpse of that i feel like because we have Hector here Hector Salamanca and the cousins, which I think we can safely assume they're all the Salamancas. And like, this is clearly 
an old family of the cartel? Well, they say because Hector trained Tuco to take over the business. So Hector clearly was the one in charge of the drug ring of that family at some point. And so Gus is like maybe new, but like he has a foothold in the U.S. So he's very valuable to the cartel. So it's like we're we're getting like little inklings here about cartel politics because we're clearly going to get so in deep with this with Walt and everything now because Gus sees something in Walt to be utilized because he clearly values Walt even though Walt does not want to do business right now. So back at the White residence, Walt is uh, sleeping on the floor of Holly's bedroom and wakes up. Holly is actually in Skylar's room and Skylar is fully up and like smoking cigarettes and trying to like get the smoke out the window. Walt wakes up to Holly crying and asks if he can come in. Skylar doesn't respond. The door's locked. He needs to use the bathroom, still isn't answering. So he gets pissed and pisses in the kitchen sink. And that is like another marker of just how much he's slipping into like a different personhood. And then and the next thing we know, Skylar's meeting up with her divorce lawyer again. The lawyer makes a statement about how she has attorney-client privilege. Even if they talk about something that is illegal, she cannot disclose anything without Skylar's explicit permission about to who and to when. Skylar admits that Walt is a meth cook, and Skylar's lawyer is immediately like, let me go to the police, sue for divorce, and like, he will be gone and the kids will be yours and it is that easy this is the best way and skylar is basically like i can't do that i can't let my son find out that his dad is a criminal and also walt is probably going to die from cancer anyway so why would i want to air all of our dirty laundry when there might only be like limited when the problem she says something honestly very morbid of like the problem is going to resolve itself soon anyway or something like that And the divorce lawyer obviously is like not happy with that decision, but also seems to kind of like understand with that last part about the cancer, why Skylar is making that choice. Cut to, we've got Hank and Gomez at some sketchy bar, uh, which Gomez fully even says, um, like, why are we here? Why, Why aren't we at a Chili's? They're talking about like Hank, and El Paso and everything. Basically, Hank starts to have an anxiety attack in the bathroom that he can't really control. And he goes out to the car and puts his gun under the seat of the of the car. And when Gomez comes out to join Hank, he's like, Oh, I, I need to go back to the bathroom. And instead, Hank just picks these two random dudes and starts a full-on fight with them. Uh, and it ends with Hank just like beating the shit out of this one guy's head on the ground of the bar. And then finally, as everybody else moves in, identifies himself as being a DEA agent and tells like an, the bartender or someone to like go get his partner from outside. That whole thing was super sketchy. It just read, it, it read in multiple different ways of like, this is the only way that Hank knows how to like exist like or take out that anger that fear that anything is to just like physically you know whatever but also like the fact that he hid his gun first also says a lot 
then our, our episode starts to wrap up with, unfortunately, Jesse is still calling Jane's voicemail. And he calls it so many times that the last time he calls it, the number is no longer in service. We just watch him be devastated that Jane is now truly gone. He has nothing at all anymore. The picture that she drew him, the dad took, everything's gone. Her phone doesn't work now. Like Jane is, has, has disappeared. And so he makes the choice the next day that he drives his RV uh, out to the desert and he cooks the blue meth. We watch him just start cooking. Meanwhile, Walt leaves the duffel bag full of cash just in the center of the living room. And Skylar is like, can we talk about this? And he goes on this monologue about like everything I did, I did for my family. He's like, this is Walt Jr.'s college tuition. This is Holly's tuition in 18 years. This is medical bills. This is groceries. This is the roof over your head. And he was like, I will be here when you get home from work. Like I would love an answer when you get home from work uh, about if you will accept this money. Because if you don't accept it, then everything I have done has been for nothing. That like he needs her to say yes so that he doesn't feel like the horrible person who did all of those bad things. Back with Hank and Gomez, they're in a little bit of trouble. They came up with a story about how they saw a deal go down and Hank went to investigate and got in a fight and then Gomez, while Gomez was outside, calling for backup. What Gomez tells Hank is that he didn't put in the report that Hank left his gun under the seat before going back inside. And they have a really tense moment between the two of them. You can just tell that that relationship is starting to split apart, which is not something that you want in your, you know, your partners. Back at the Whites, Walt is is still kind of waiting for Skylar to come home. She's not there yet. And he's cooking dinner and stuff. And that's because meanwhile, Skylar is out here fucking Ted. They kissed at work. And then she asked him if his kids were home. He said no. And we can draw conclusions as she pulls into the front driveway and Skylar walks in and Walt is in like a very happy mood. He's like, oh, you're home. I, I hope it's okay. I told Lewis that he could stay over for dinner since he drove Walt Jr. Also, I feel really good about our talk this morning. And she just stares at him and says, I fucked Ted. She calls the boys for dinner and Walt just stands there just devastated. And the episode ends. Like it literally ends with with her admitting that she fucked Ted. And I was enraged. I was so fucking mad, dude. I was so mad. I was so, I'm still angry, I think. I think I'm still frustrated and upset by this whole thing. Because Adam, the person, is like, honestly, girl, do your thing. Because Walt's fucked up and you need to get your family the fuck out of this situation. Adam, who's invested in Breaking Bad, who has been fed Walt as a main character for two whole seasons, is like, fuck you. You suck. Like, I can't believe this is happening. That was so cold. And and so I'm just going back and forth with myself. It was devastating. It was devastating, even though I literally saw it coming. I I just find it so funny with that reaction, because I think if I didn't put in context prior that, like, there was a lot of random hate for Skylar and just to have that at the forefront of ourselves, we wouldn't be so split right now, I feel like. Because I think this episode in particular can really exemplify that 
that split in the audience of like this weird irrational hate for Skylar when like honestly she's like doing the least amount of damage possible it feels like like it's it is not that bad in comparison to what Walt has been doing for like the last several months yes correct and that's why the title of the episode is ift i fucked ted oh my god so so fun so fun and clever and yeah i think it's i think skylar lashes out it's complicated it's messy it's a lot of messy emotions honestly because people are messy emotional things but like part of it is to get walt out of their lives and so she's hoping cheating on him will force Walt out. But also, I feel like she's caving into her own emotional, des- not desires, but like just emotional baggage of everything because she feels like she needs to get revenge herself in some sort of way. And this is the way to do it to her, for her. You know, it's it's messy. It's weird. I mean, yeah, it's going to make things more complicated and make the relationship harder and everything, but, like, she's got to do something, right? She's She was clearly, her bluff was called when she called the police on Walt earlier and she couldn't confess to it. So, like, she she has to try to do something. But, yeah, that, this is just going to lead us into our last episode that we're talking about in this episode, Green Light. Yeah, our our fourth and final episode for this section. Our teaser is Jesse filling up gas into his RV or realizing he needs gas. And we can assume that he has finished his meth making. He tries to do a barter with the young girl who's at the cashier station saying that take this blue meth instead of cash I'll like pump my gas and we'll be even. And she is just the epitome of naive, sweet, ignorant cashier girl at, you know, a middle of nowhere desert gas station. Jesse is bold because a a New Mexico state trooper even walks into the store and he has the meth bag like out on the counter in his hand and he doesn't even try to like conceal it more or anything. He watches the state trooper walk in and just goes for it like continues to pressure her and finally she does and he even lies to her she's like isn't this stuff like super addictive because she says like she's only smoked weed and he's like nah that's all stuff in the media or whatever like he again he has really internalized this like i'm the bad guy mentality which is not good so she takes the deal the officer's like in line behind him nothing happens and he goes on his merry way with a pack of cigarettes and pumps some gas and that just really lets us know what trajectory he's on right now what trajectory jesse's on which is sad i have such high hopes for jesse all the time and and i'm constantly destroyed the next thing we know we are with mike and saul listening to audio of walt and skyler having a whole argument over the affair that happened with Ted, realizing that this is a bad problem because Walt heads to Benneke Fabricators, which also I think I'm I'm I've been laughing at that recently, knowing that they are fabricating their books and they're called Benneke Fabricators. Anyway. And Walt has this like very sad, borderline kind of like 
just pathetic freak out at Beneke trying to talk to Ted. He tries to like smash a plant through a window and it, it just bounces off. Like these three guys, they're not even security. They just look like they are men who work there, like in the warehouse or something. Grab Walt and like toss him out. But that was after Skylar even comes down the stairs and is like, Walt, what are you doing? And like all the coworkers are watching and it's just this really awkward like thing. And Walt sees after he's been thrown out a back door into the office and he goes to walk towards it. And Mike swoops in with the car and like (laughs) puts Walt's hand behind his back and like shoves him, throws him, whatever, into the back of the car at Walt's protest, obviously, and brings him to Saul's office. And Saul starts to talk about Walt being like, dude, you need to get it together, blah, blah, blah. And Walt is more concerned about trying to understand how Saul knew where he was and puts it together that the house is bugged. Saul admits that he did that. Then, in true Saul nature, uses some very crude words to describe Skylar's like affair with Ted, and Walt freaks out and starts a full on like wrestle tussle whatever with Walt. Mike has to pull him off, and in anger, Walt tells Saul that he's fired, and Saul's like, "Okay, well, I'm also not going to launder money through for you anymore through your son's website, like." that he owes him a $300 suit, basically, were like the two things that Saul had to contribute. And then uh, we see Mike removing the bugs from Walt's house. Walt is like, you know, make sure you get all of those. And Mike is so chill. He's like, these cost $800 a piece. And also, you're not that interesting. And I was like, I love Mike. I want more of Mike. Show me more him. And as he goes to leave, Mike notices a scythe that was drawn outside of the street, probably by the cousins. He tells Walt, he before he drives off, he goes, you know, it's not a bad thing to have somebody watching out for you, drives away. Because again, Walt has absolutely no idea about the danger that he is like truly in. No, not 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 at all. It's th- that whole series of events is just this crazy roller coaster of Walt like burning down all of his bridges of like the criminal people to trust to protect him. And he's just on this war path because Skylar cheated on him. A man broken in the worst possible situation where it's like you have the cartel coming after you. So, and you don't know. So let's go ahead and burn all your bridges. It just so shows how like kind of callous Walt is. He's just like the littlest thing. Like, Maybe it's not that little, but like in comparison to everything else that he's been involved with, Skylar cheating on him is is small. It's very small in comparison. Yes, it's literally the bottom of the barrel. And and I just do not understand why that hits him harder. And it's 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 his fragility. It's his masculine fragility that he's been like dealing with since season one of feeling like he's not enough of a man of the house and that like spurred the desire to go down this criminal path to find his darker more masculine side of himself and it's just it's clearly not working out well because when the truth comes out that he's been hiding from everyone people are gonna like use that against him and it's just 
the the scene of him storming into the the Benneke fabricators office and everything is just hilarious because he's trying to be like chill but he has no chill he is like a fuse that is burning so close to the explosion that is going off honestly and when he tries to pick up that plant pot he struggles so hard because it's a lot heavier than he thought it was and so much screaming and everything and like skylar shows up and she's like what the hell are you doing here and walt's like oh i'm just trying to talk with ted and and there was just in brian cranston does such a good job of just like changing the timbre of like his voice on a dime yes that switch was phenomenal and added to the the comedy of the situation where it was like oof buddy come on now it's just such a crazy roller coaster and yeah to to lose his friends who are trying to protect him from the unknown dangers that he's in over something so small it's just ridiculous you know but like he's unknowing to it all too which is i think is by design of gus oh absolutely i i think gus has a lot more to do with uh everything than than even we really realize we do a little bit more now after that meeting but i feel like there's even more after that whole situation being at the office, Walt is back at the high school teaching, except he's not teaching. He's just absolutely zoned out, staring at his coffee mug. No one is speaking and all the students are just staring at him basically like, hello, like, are you okay? So one of the kids returns who clearly want to go get the principal, Carmen. And so Carmen comes in and like asks Walt to like see her in his office or in her office and starts trying to talk to him about like, your behavior is really erratic and also you're just like not present. And then what you can just tell like Walt is bugging. Like he is out of his mind. He doesn't know how to act, how to be, how to anything. And he like awkwardly tries to like go in for a kiss with her. And she's like, what is wrong with you? And ultimately he gets placed on indefinite leave, which honestly is better than just getting outright fired i guess but uh because she does still have some sympathy for him but that was kind of the final straw and so as he goes to leave who's in the parking lot waiting for him jesse this scene oh it was like we're right back in season one with but with season three character arcs because jesse very proudly shows Walt like the blue meth that he made and his process and how he's been so specific and all this and Walt just rips it apart like tells Jesse all the little nitpicky things that he did wrong refuses to set Jesse up for a meeting with Gus and even more so says like this is my formula this is my recipe and Jesse was like well I was gonna cut you in and he was like you're gonna cut me in I cut you in and Ultimately, it just le- like ends in an explosion of anger on both ends. And like Jesse drives off with Walt's box of stuff on his car that just falls off and crashes onto the ground in a very symbolic, shattered, uh, framed picture of Walt Schuyler and Walt Jr. Is-, is left on the pavement. It was so upsetting to like see Walter get reduced again to this horrible teacher place like with jesse again because i think part of it is like walt can't handle jesse being able to 
be just as good as like be, being able to recreate their meth again by remembering everything that Walt has taught him. Like Walt can't accept that Jesse has become smart enough because it, he feels like he's becoming invaluable even further and he's just losing control again of everything. Like Walt clearly has control issues. Like I think that's like bottom line is Walt has control issues. So it's just it's it's upsetting the relationships getting reduced to what it was at the beginning in season one, but with like these completely different characters now, like night and day to who they were before. It's so interesting and fascinating to see that as well. So it's just, it's such a good ride. Such a good ride. Oof, yeah, just so much little nuanced stuff that's happening throughout all of this. Skylar is ostracized at work because everyone thinks she's a harlot because she is. Um, just kidding. I'm not gonna. Skylar's great. I actually very much like Skylar as a character. I'm just sad at the moment. I think I'm dealing with my emotions. But like the receptionist won't talk to her, and it's like a whole thing. And we also learn that this is not a one-time affair with Ted because she's oh back over at his place and they're fucking. Like Skylar starts to like kind of be like everybody hates me because ted's like what went wrong with your marriage because he makes a joke about how he doesn't want to make the same mistake and like all this and he like kind of asks her to move in and she's like oh and get my son to hate me even more i don't think so and he jokes and he's like well i'll just fire everybody at work who thinks that you know you're just trying to sleep your way to the top of the corporate ladder or whatever and then he says you know i don't want to make the same mistake that like happen with you and Walt and Skylar says that she couldn't possibly imagine but meanwhile he's committing corporate tax fraud so he's also fully doing a legal business uh, and she's helping him so arguably he is doing very similar things which I think is an interesting narrative about society's view about like crime and the relationship between like drug crime versus corporate crime and how one is viewed as like significantly worse and stuff. But that's a longer conversation. Hank and Gomez are in a information room because Hank continues to push off his uh, El Paso deployments, not the right word, but like uh, travel. And they've got this like guy who is very clearly just a meth user, but he had blue meth and he is trying to remember the name of the guy and there's this very weird, unfortunately, like tweaked out scene of him remembering that it starts with an M. It basically like it leads to Hank following up on these leads and he gets to the gas station where we saw Jesse offer the meth to the girl at the front counter. And after some really intense interrogation by Hank on this like young cashier girl who is fully lying and he accuses her of lying and then she like immediately starts telling the truth. She admits that she tried the meth, she hated it. And so she gave it to this guy that she works with whose name does start with an M. I think it was Matt. And she couldn't remember or give really like any distinguishing characteristics about Jesse to tell Hank because he's the guy who like gave it to her. The camera in the gas station doesn't work but on his way out hank noticed that there was an atm that was pointed at the gas pumps and so we can kind of assume that he is going to try and use that camera footage to find jesse who he doesn't know is jesse yet um so that's kind of hank's 
moment in this is like he's getting his lead because Gomez and everybody kept ragging on him that like the blue meth is gone. Heisenberg isn't like coming back, like go to El Paso, like stop being dumb. And Hank is kind of using the return of this blue meth as his escape to like abandon the El Paso assignment. Um, And he even kind of says that to, to Marie uh, kind of like, she can tell that something is like, severely wrong and that he doesn't actually want to go to El Paso and she very clearly doesn't want him to go to El Paso either because the last time there was an explosion and he came back with intense trauma and this also leads us to kind of our our big like oh no Hank and Gomez aren't doing well officially because Hank tells Gomez like I'm getting tired of all the second guessing and like Gomez literally is trying to be like, hey, I'm concerned about you. Do you need to talk to somebody? Like kind of dropping the tough guy act and Hank won't drop it and keeps this very just like resolve and completely dismisses Gomez uh, and even like threatens him. And you can see Gomez is like, oh shit, like things are not well. Jesse decides that he is going to meet with Saul because obviously things with Walt did not go well. And he walks in and initially Saul's like, no, get out of here. Like you couldn't hold up your end of the deal to get Walt to continue cooking. And Jesse reveals the bag of meth to Saul. And Saul's like, how, how'd you get him to do this? And Jesse's like, I did, like, I didn't, I did this. And he's like, you know, the guy who knows the guy, right? Ultimately we, we figure out like, okay, Saul is going to set Jesse up with Gus, who Mike is currently meeting with in a parking lot. He tells Gus that Walt is physically fine, but is mentally, quote, a disaster, which is very accurate, and that he will most likely not return to cooking. And he's like, why don't you tell him what's going on? And Gus says he doesn't believe that fear is an effective motivator, which I just really like this Gus character. Gus and Mike, this scene, I was really into because I really like both of these characters a lot. And Gus uh, is informed about the scythe that got drawn outside of Walt's house and he calls the cousins animals. And then Mike talks to Gus about Saul's request for a meeting with Jesse. And Gus basically says that he doesn't, again, which he said before, like he doesn't do deals with junkies. Mike said, I thought you might say that. And he was like, well, it seems like Walt and Jesse have split. And that sparked something for Gus. What winds up happening is Jesse does get a drop handed to him and victor takes the meth gives him a bag of cash and jesse looks inside but it's only half of the cash and he is like wait where's the rest of it and victor's like that's your half and then drives off we're like oh i see what gus is going for here he's gonna use this split as like a way to ultimately get walt back in the game so We've got a breakfast with Skylar, Walt, and Junior. And it's so tense and just awkward and horrible. And Walt Jr. makes a comment about how the donations to SaveWalterWhite.com have stopped. And Walt's like, well, you know, some people just lose interest. And that just added to the tenseness. And it was, oh my God, it was so, it was so bad. And then Walt Jr. also suggests that since Walt's on leave, Walt can watch Holly so that Skylar doesn't have to keep bringing the baby to Beneke. And Skylar just says, we'll see, which is also horrible. And so Walt leaves and he's driving and there is a really 
depressing radio report that he hears that Donald Margolis, Jane's dad, was being rushed to the hospital because he he attempted to die by suicide by gunshot. And uh, Walt can't even listen to the entirety of the announcement before switching the song or switching the radio station and, and having a song pop on because now that is another another thing that he is, you know, technically a part, a cause of. And as he's at a red light, a car pulls up next to him and it's Victor and he tosses a paper bag with cash through Walt's window and he says, your half, and then speeds away. And Walt just looks at it and is basically like, what the fuck? And then continues like driving because after he's been sitting at a green light, the guy behind him honks. And that's how episode four ends is Walt gets his half of the cash for something that he didn't do. So here we are. These four episodes, I'm 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 so happy that like I can find a way to split up the episodes so they kind of make sense as like an arc. That like we've ended on a bit of an arc here of like more things to come, but like we feel like we have some sort of resolution a little bit in this that like people are making choices now. It's not just this chaotic buildup as much anymore that like the first two episodes definitely felt like. Yeah, I'm just I'm excited. I'm excited to keep diving. Yeah, I I am already like jonesing to continue. And it's actually very fun that my girlfriend got interested in in this because I'm like, okay, wait, so are you going to watch this with me now? Because it's always fun to watch something, you know, with someone else. So we'll see. But I, 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 I think there's a testament there, too, of like, certainly not her kind of show. And she's invested and she didn't even see the first two seasons. So it clearly shows the power that this show has, you know, or even had at the time it was like originally airing. It's captivating for everyone. Like, and that's like it does so well. Like, it's it's so well written and so well directed. So, like, props to the writing team and all the directors who jump aboard to direct episodes throughout. A lot has to be said with the cast. Like, Brian Cranston in these four episodes alone is on such an amazing, crazy journey that's just partially unbelievable, but so believable that, like, I can see someone rationalizing to do that to that point is it's brilliant it's brilliant i'm worried about jesse honestly because i am too even though this is a rewatch for me i'm still worried again it's it's hard it's hard seeing jesse becoming the bad guy and accepting that so like it's it's not the worst version of himself anymore because we've seen that we've seen the worst version of himself as being so drug dependent, giving in to the high to not deal with emotions. Like we know that is the worst version of Jesse. We're now just seeing the evil part of Jesse maybe coming out, accepting he's a bad guy, but drugs, him consuming drugs is not part of the problem anymore. So it's just, it's dangerous. But yeah, so that's that's going to do it. So what do we got going on for next week? So next week, Adam had the great idea of doing, because it's the start of a new year, of doing a new beginnings kind of like a char- main character kind of like 
becoming a better person. And I think that's very fitting after this episode of Breaking Bad of all these people just becoming the worst versions of themselves. So to see like a good inspiring story of someone becoming better is great. Or I mean, just a change of character, I guess, more so, I guess. I was going to say, I don't know if mine, I don't know if mine is necessarily uh, becoming better. Um, but my movie is uh, Thelma and Louise from 1991, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, I feel like that is that is kind of the epitome of a New Beginnings sort of uh, film. How about you? Yeah, and then I chose the movie Win Win from 2011, directed by Tom McCarthy. So I'm really excited to watch these movies. I'm I'm excited to watch these. Uh, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a fun little a fun little way to start off the new year with with some some characters that decide to take their lives in different ways. But in the meantime, please like, comment, subscribe, rate us on all the podcasting platforms and give us ideas, of course, of new future episode ideas, especially genres and stuff. We've been filling out the year calendar of ideas and even movie recommendations you might have for us. Please by all means give it our way we're really excited to you know explore new movies that we haven't seen as well as return to classics and you know kind of dive in deep with them anyways i've been chandler i'm adam see you next week see ya